Hi there, I'm Jonathan Healy. Thank you for joining us. Later on in the podcast, The Business of Design. Architects were a group really hit hard during the recession, so we ask, what's next for them? We speak to one group, Mehil, designing the next generation of family homes. But first, let's talk about tech and tech jobs. Lots of them have been created this year, but where are the pinch points as Cork tries to carve a niche for itself? Red Business Podcasts with CompuB. Apple technology and solutions for your business. CompuB.com. And one of the growth areas in this fine city of ours is the IT space. And in fact, it's probably one of the fastest growing areas in terms of employment. Not that it's without its challenges, which we'll talk about in a while, but we're also going to talk about the opportunities that are there with our panel today, which consists of Daniel Mackey, who is one of the founders of Teamwork.com. Jerry Murphy is from the Mware, and Mike Kirby is from Skull Niklaus in Frankfield in Douglas. The standout there, Mike, is that you are not a tech company. I think we need to clarify that very early on. You are indeed a school. Uh, we're indeed a school, yeah, absolutely. I suppose sometimes we kind of Think that we're a tech company. I suppose we're 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 a big enough school. We've eight hundred and fifty kids, um, and we've sixty staff. Um, I suppose it's best to describe you as a holding company for the companies that are sitting next to you. That well, you'll eventually yeah, inherit. They'll yeah, inherit yeah, yeah. what you're producing. Yes, <laughs> that's the thing. We'll we'll feed on to the to the bigger crew. It's yeah. a, it's a production line of sorts. Yes. Um, Dan, I want to talk to you first of all. The the teamwork story. Uh, look, I, I we, we've heard it many times, but it's always worth hearing again. The journey that you guys have been on. When when did yourself and Peter decide that you were going to set up what was wasn't teamwork.com at the time it was teamwork.something else yeah, wasn't it was teamworkpm.net very catchy as we've yeah. discussed previously so tell me about the, the, the journey that you've been on to get to the company the scale it's at now so I suppose Peter and myself we met in college um, when I went to college all I wanted to do was computers I had an interest in programming and game programming specifically and when I went to college I was a bit disillusioned the people in my class they were they were kind of there because they were told that there was um the future is in, in computers and engineering. And when I went there, I didn't actually meet people who had an interest in computers. So one day we were down the labs and I saw this guy down the back, Peter Coppinger, and we got talking, we got friends. And uh, after that, then we said, you know, we have an interest in this and we'll go out and do it ourselves. So we set up a consultancy then and uh, we were making bespoke applications for companies like Pfizer and Cork, Lilly, uh, Lidl, and we got so busy that we needed something to manage the work that, that we had on. So uh, we looked at the market leader um, in the project management space, um, weren't impressed. And being typical developers, we said, you know, we could do that better. You kind of got a bit snotty about it. Like we going, did, we, we yeah. could do that better ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. So um, we wrote the first version. We used it ourselves. And then we said, do you know what? We put it out online, see what happens. And we did. And I think the first one to be made about... $196, but it kind of validated the idea and, you know, somebody was willing to put their hard-earned cash on the line to, to use our software. So from there, we, we grew it up and when we got to about $30,000 MRR, which is monthly recurring revenue, it was uh, bringing more money then than, than the consultancy. So we doubled down it. So yeah, in other words, that that you realised you were on to a good thing. Yeah. To, to explain to the uninitiated, what does the product do? So our original product, we had one, and it was um, a project management app. Now, when I say project management app, it doesn't go into like scheduling or anything like that. It's more like a collaboration platform. So you would uh, assign tasks to your colleagues. You would uh, compose all your messages on it, 
communicate, upload files, have all your assets in one place. Um, you can bring your clients into it. They can come in and see the progress of the work that you're doing for them. And, uh, it's, it's centralizing everything, isn't it? Centralizing everything. You can, for you your can pull data, which is so important for all companies. You can pull data out and you can yeah, see and what's working. Yeah, and have it in one place. And what's working and what's is, not. Yeah. And when you started pulling data on teamwork.com as it became, it was only going in one direction, wasn't it? Yeah, I was going up. I mean, we, we hockey sticked. Um, I love that phrase. Explain the hockey stick. So what the hockey that? stick, it's, um, it's the curve on the graph of when uh, sales skyrocketed. And that came about because we were teamworkpm.net. It was the only available domain name at the time. I think we launched it 10 to 12, 10 years ago in October, and that was the only domain name available. And um, I think I mentioned to you there recently, like teamwork, the name itself was important in our product suite because when we were doing, um, when we were consultancy, we had teamwork CMS and we wrote a couple of intranets for people and we used to call that teamwork. And so teamwork was an important name for us and it kind of embodied everything that we wanted to make out of the application. So um, teamwork PM then for project manager and .NET was available. So we registered for about nine quid and went to bed. <laughs> yes, it, yes, it didn't, read, the teamwork.com didn't cost you nine quid though. No, um, $675,000 every single penny we had in the bank. We gambled, it paid off. That's because it was a guy squatting on it, wasn't it? It was, it was a guy down in California. Um, I think he had it for 12 years. If he'd known how successful that. you were going to become, he would have charged you more than 675000 I'd say he would. Do you know what? At the time, uh, the recession was hitting, I'd say he needed a couple of quid. So... <laughs> Well, we it, had paid, it. it paid off for him, to be fair. He, he got what he wanted. And look, the company has gone on from strength to strength. We'll talk about the clients that you have as well. Jerry, VMware, uh, people will be very familiar with VMware. It, it, like, they're owned by, it, it's Dell now as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Dell have uh, bought us. And um, we're 85% owned by EMC. And then Dell came in and bought the whole lot. So we're under the Dell Technologies family. I, I remember, look, being a news reporter, you, you tend to fly out to these places when good news happens and sometimes when bad news happens as well and you get very little sense of what it's about but VMware it's software primarily is it? It is yeah um, it's virtualization software and it's cloud computing software as well so basically <laughs> we um, we provide the software that runs an awful lot of the the um, ATMs that you see at the moment um, we're in 99% um, of the Fortune 500 companies in the world would use VMware software for virtualization. And it's also the basic building block um, for the compute part of the um, software-defined data center. And we also work on the software-defined networking, software-defined storage. So we collaborate on all of that and bring all of that together and bring it to the business community. About 85% of what you just said went completely over my head. Right. So when you say virtualization now, is it just so that Gombeans on the far end of it, like myself, can use it without kind of falling over? Right. Well, I'll tell you what virtualization is in a nutshell. <laughs> Be polite now because I'm a bit stupid. <laughs> all right. Um, well, everybody, most people would have a laptop or a PC at home. Yeah. And um, to all intents and purposes, about 5 to 10% of the capacity that's within that is um, used. So basically what virtualization is, we um, we load um, software onto the, the PC or the laptop. And with that uh, virtualization software, we put in a central management system. So you can build other operating systems within the core uh, system that you have. And the virtualization software that we have will actually manage the resources. So if the four of us in the room here had um, a, virtual, uh, a, a virtual machine working on my laptop. My laptop would say that you need the resources at one stage, so it would send you the compute, the storage, and the networking um, resources when you need it. If Dan needs it, 
um, it would send it to him. So and it, 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 shall we say, it makes it more clever. Much, much more and clever. Efficient. And there's, you know, an awful lot of benefits as well in terms of the space that's needed, in terms of the power consumption and in terms of the running costs and the ease of ab- ability to deploy more VMs yeah. when you need them. Now, D- Dan's company is a Cork native. It yes. grew out of Cork. VMware came in, obviously, from the States. It's an American company, isn't Palo it? Alto is the headquarters. And yeah. how long ago since VMware came in? Here? Uh, it came in in 2005. Yeah. So in 2015, we um, celebrated our 10th anniversary here. And um, we're 12 years going now and going from strength to strength. Out in Ballincollig, if I'm Out not mistaken. Out in Ballincollig. Now, yeah. I, I want to talk to Dan and Jerry before I speak to Mike. Uh, you know, you're both Cork lads, if I can put it that way. There's a few years in the difference. I won't hazard a guess as how much there might be. <laughs> but, uh, you know, did you always want to stay in Cork? Because the, the easy thing to do if you became successful in this sphere would be to go away, to maybe go to Europe or go to, God forbid, Dublin or, or maybe the US. I mean, it's a big thing for the lads in teamwork, for yourself and Peter, Dan, that, that you are a Cork company, isn't it? It is. I mean, um, Peter and myself, we're both from Cork. Our families are in Cork. We're educated in Cork. We love Cork. And uh, like we're very proud to build teamwork from Cork. And I mean, in our kind of business, we could be anywhere. We could be down Cape Clear. We could be on the moon. You know, yeah. we can Cape operate from anywhere. Yeah, yeah. You know, as long as we have fertilization, we're, we're laughing, you know. And, and the one thing that's become abundantly clear with IT in Cork is that there is going to be a much higher demand for well-educated, rounded students coming out of, of our universities. But before they get to the universities, they have to pass through secondary school and they even have to go uh, to primary school. God help them. Mike Kirby, this is where you bring in, uh, come in. Skull Nicklaus in Frankfield in Douglas. You are the custodians of this generation. Uh, <laughs> no pressure. H- how How is it going in, in trying to get kids interested in what these lads want at the end, which is someone who's an interest in computers who can come up with the next big thing? Yeah, I suppose it's easy enough at the moment because when they do even come in at four and five years of age in junior infants, they're already using their iPads and their, their parents' iPhones at home kind of a thing. So they know... Trust me, they spend an awful lot of time in my iPad and my iPhone I, at home. If I could get to reduce it, I'd be happier, but yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so like, as soon as they come in the door with us, we have our we have our IT curriculum um, in place in school. So we have our different we have our different goals for each year set out. So say, for example, this year now in second class... Um, I have different goals that I'm supposed to meet. Um, so th- even just small things like how to insert the USB disk into the computer, how to eject it properly, you know, save files in Word, save fi- files in PowerPoint, those kind of things. Um, so I suppose it is easy enough to keep them interested. Um, in school as well, we have a good parents association. We do Coder Dojo or the parents association do Coder Dojo on a Sunday with them and they have great numbers for that um, in our computer room. Um so there's never really any kind of hassle trying to get them interested. There's always there's always excitement. And, and, and your school is quite big, isn't it? I mean, how many have you got in the school? We've 850 children at the moment, so... That's uh, a lot of malleable clay in terms of academia as to what they'll all end up doing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, absolutely, they could go in any different direction kind of a thing. Um, so I suppose, again, yeah, we're just trying to, you know, give them the basics at the start and get them interested in a few different things. You know, they'll be doing their different projects throughout the years. Um, there are different PowerPoint projects and all that. I'd hazard a guess, though, if I was to walk into the second class now where you are yeah. and, and did a straw poll about what you want to do when you grow up, lads. Oh, Very yeah. few of them would say, well, we want to be software developers or, <laughs> or, or we want to work uh, in, in virtualization, which is Jerry's area. So, I mean, yeah. it's, it's an evolving process as you go along, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, at the moment, now they all want to be YouTubers. They all want to be, of That's course. It's, it's a torture, isn't it? I yeah, mean, yeah, I've, yeah. I've got a nine-year-old who keeps walking around the house filming things. I know <laughs> it's the same house as it was yesterday. 
yesterday. Please yeah, stop yeah, filming yeah. the house. Absolutely. But he's very into it. Into it. And this yeah. is great. I, I, that's the thing. And and two or three of them would have YouTube channels already in my class. If, if stuff by the way, if, if you're listening, Jack, they are great videos. Daddy loves you. But go on. Sorry, I didn't mean to demean. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so they have some YouTube ca- channels in they your class. They do, absolutely. And sure, they're absolutely delighted with them. Um, so it it is, you know, it, it's just going, it's going that, you know, it's going that direction. They're all plugged into something most of the day kind of a thing. Mm. Um, I suppose during school is the only time that they're they're away from it, but we were only talking about it earlier, um, bringing iPads and stuff into the classroom, whether that'll be something that we'll do now further on down the road, but I'm w- not too w- sure. Would you like to see Coder Dojo and that kind of thing taught in class time? We would. The only thing is 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 time, you know. As we, tight enough as it it's is. It's tight, it? exactly. Yeah. Um, I suppose it would just be... I suppose I myself, I wouldn't feel that I'd be giving enough time to it to do it properly. Yeah. Um, that we have the, our other few bits and pieces to be doing during the day. Um, and, and, and I've spoken about this before, Dan. I think I've said this to you that when I was in Boma National School uh, going back 30 years ago at this stage, we had a BBC computer that sat in the corner of the room and we, we went every single day. We used, remember the old U2 thing, you used to draw lines yeah, and we yeah. were ba- using basic as software. And it took me about 20 years to realise I was actually coding in school. And then we kind of forgot about doing it and we didn't teach it to kids. But the good thing thing is now that the next generation who you hopefully will be employing will, will have been doing it almost as a hobby as opposed to a full-time educational thing. Yeah, which is fantastic. I mean, when I was in school, I went to St. Patrick's National School in Gardner's Hill in Cork. And then um, later on to secondary school, we didn't have a formal computer class. We didn't have... Did you have a formal of, computer? <laughs> we didn't have a formal computer. I mean, um, I, I got it because we weren't allowed to sneeze when I was growing up. <laughs> So my father brought home an old Wang 286 computer. Oh, really? And, yeah, so I started on, on basic that's a, as well. It was, that's a poor man's uh, Super Nintendo. It, really. <laughs> it was. It was, uh, it was a great machine at the time, you know, but that was my only access to games. And that's how I got into programming. And it's fantastic now to see the kids um, in Coder Dojo. And they're, they understand how to to put a program together and how it works and how, the, you know, they may not know exactly how a computer works. But, but they're they seeing the basics. Yeah, they can get the basics. And... I mean, in our line of work, um, it doesn't matter what programming language you use, as long as you've got the fundamentals right. And to have that mm. uh, that kind the of base. education behind you yeah. going into college. Yeah. And at least they'll get a flair. They'll go, OK, maybe maybe this is something that I could excel at. And, and, and Jerry, through, through your work with VMware, you, you've realised that it doesn't take that long to get people up to a very high standard in terms of programming. Yeah, and it's interesting that you... It, absolutely. Um, we're mainly support in Cork, you know, just going on to the school kids thing as well. We ran a computer club um, the year before last with Ballancolly Community School, and we're looking to, at two initiatives with uh, BCS and Colosh de Column this year. And um, we took kids from 12 years old right up to 18. And I walked in after five weeks and there was one full of loading um, a hypervisor onto a bare metal machine. And um, he was 12 years old, and I asked him what he was doing, and he said to me... I'd have to ask him as well, what the what? what? Oh, yeah, well, he was was loading the virtualization software, and it was just like, you know, like he was opening a can of Coke. So I think that the immersion that um, that they can get in national school and making them aware and giving them the opportunity to experience it, because if you look at the whole IT industry, um, (laughs) Legil agreed that... You know, regardless of whether you get into pharma, biomed, uh, banking, finance, everything is now passing through the crossroads that is ICT and uh, BIS. So it's, it you know, making them literate with it, 
literate, not illiterate. <laughs> making them literate with it is really, make, really they important. They our generation illiterate. So making them, making them comfortable with it as well is, and, and is tell really us about the programs that you did that, that got people in effectively with no experience and got them literate. Right. Um, well, the program that we have is um, it's a, the Cloud Careers program. It's, it's kind of a generic term that uh, covers the whole lot of it. But back in 2010... Um, we were in the midst of a, a very, very harsh recession and our worldwide VP for global support, John Dolan, decided that he was going to, what, he asked himself, what could he do for it or what could he do about, or what could our company do about it? So with Gordon O'Reilly, our um, director of the VMware Technical Support University, Valerie Coleman from the CETB, um, they devised this program where they would bring people in that had a passion for IT, that had an interest in it and that had a really good work ethic and a good attitude. And so they, they designed a course that was very, very intensive um, training in Linux, Windows, um, networking, storage, and virtualization. And they hot-hosed them for um, 12 weeks of very, very intensive training. It was a form of technical waterboarding as such. And then when they brought them in... <laughs> the kind the, of thing that they frowned upon in the United yeah, States. Yeah, well, but you know, it's, so it's, it's, okay. it's really, really, it's really, really tough. And that's why we interview for people with the right attitude. Mm. And then we brought them in and we sat them with um, our most experienced engineers who mentored them through the early stages of taking just one case per day. It might have been the purple screen of death or something like that. And within nine months, we had them turned from just somebody with a passion for IT with a very, very good attitude. And we did all of this in conjunction with Software Skillnet and they co-funded it with us. And, um, you know, we were able to turn them into technical support engineers and we've had amazing success. The real challenge, and Mike, I, again, this comes back to you and your, your, your group of students, is that they are the future. I mean, the, the companies that are either established in Cork now or are going to be established in Cork are going to come from that generational pool. I mean, do you have a lot of confidence in them that, as I suppose they're beyond digital natives, that, that this is this is their life and their existence as it will be going forward, that they will find careers in companies like the two we're talking to? Yeah, absolutely. I suppose the thing, the most important thing with us is that we try and give them a good base before they do move on to secondary school. Um, and I suppose that you know, part of with our IT, IT committee in school, you know, we do look at our IT curriculum every year or every two years kind of a thing and make sure that it is up to date and that we are focusing on, the, you know, the main things that they should be, that they should be able to do before they leave, before they leave primary school. Um, but yeah, you know, as I said, that's kind of, that's what we're hoping for by the time they leave sixth class mm. is that they will have a good understanding and they will enjoy it as well. You know, they will enjoy the technology and they will enjoy using the computers. But, but, but looking at parents and what parents can do now, do they need to encourage more, Dan? Because, you know, you, you've already, you're all on the record yourself and Peter saying you're running out of graduates. You know, the, the there's not enough coming out of the colleges to sustain a lot of the work that you need to do. So, it, like, what would you say to mums and dads right now who are thinking about sending little Tommy or little Jane to university next year? What do they need to do if they want to get a sustainable job in IT in Cork? I suppose the first thing I'm going to do recruitment drive to VMware next week and get, <laughs> get all Jerry's uh, yeah, yeah. You, You've actually, unfortunately, Jerry, you've, you've made I've that opened problem the floodgates. I know yeah, yeah. happens all the time. Watch for the teamwork t-shirts. Yeah, yeah. I think the one thing that always kind of annoyed me was... Um, when we were growing up, it was get out and, and kick a ball around the place. Get off the Xbox, get off the iPad. Mm. I mean, why? Why should they? Do you know what I mean? Using an iPad, using an Xbox, they're, they're gaining skills. They're, they're, they're learning while they're playing as but well. But are they on the wrong side of the glass, though? They're using... Well, not really, because I, I think that people who... You're always going to be good at something that you like, that you enjoy. And if, if kids enjoy playing the Xbox and messing around with iPads and that kind of stuff... At least I'll get a flavour of, yes, this was something that I want to do. 
in the future and they'll make a, a better educated guess as what they should do in college. Um, ultimately, that's going to help companies like VMware and Teamwork.com and then any other tech company in Cork. And do, do you think that the appetite is there amongst that younger core? Because you've got them. You, you mean you've signed up some young, talented people even in the last Yeah, definitely. Some of the, the best people working inside with us came straight out of college. We've got a good graduate program running in Teamwork.com. We interface well with um, CIT and UCC. We're hoping to try and fine-tune the courses to to get in some of the technologies that we're, we're using and that we're, um, you know, we're lacking. So we've 140 staff in a wide range. I mean, we, we need salespeople, we need marketing people, but ultimately we make software, so we need developers and we need sysops to keep the software running mm. and we need to find those people. Companies like ourselves need to help uh, schools like Mike's as well totally with, with funding of, of this equipment. I mean, it doesn't mm. come cheap, yeah. you know. And um, yeah, I, I mean, we were talking there earlier and Mike was saying that they have to go out and fundraise to, mm. to buy this equipment. You yeah. know, if we can yeah. help in any way to, to promote that. Yeah, like we are we are lucky in our school, I suppose. There are, you know, there are a lot of smaller schools around the country kind of thing that wouldn't have the same kind of fundraising. I suppose you you do get you do get your initial few computers or whatever off the department and you get your grant. Um, but after that, then it's up to yourself. You know, we've we've a computer room now with 30 computers. We have a laptop trolley with another 30 laptops on it. That you do you still do trolley? I remember that. It used to be a very exciting day with the trolley. See the trolley, right? yeah, yeah, the yeah. trolley come in with the TV and the VCR. Yeah, you've, got, yeah, yeah. you've got one now for laptops. For laptops, exactly, that you can wheel into the into the room. You know, we've a, we've an ICT, we've an interactive whiteboard in each classroom. Um, that so kind this of is thing. actually a trolley of laptops. I thought there was one laptop on the trolley. No, no. Oh. so you have 30, yeah, 30 <laughs> laptops. And you, it's you way more exciting it. than a television and a VCR. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely in place. And, and each each child then has a laptop or whatever. Yeah. So I suppose we are, we are lucky in our, in, our, in our school that we do have... Um, it, it, no, it sounds fascinating. I mean, look, the one thing I have to ask you, uh, both Dan and Jerry, uh, who are in the area, when I was coming out of college, what, 20 years ago, it was all about... Get a job in pharma. Pharma's the future. If, you, if you're going to get a job for life, get a job in pharma. Is it now tech, Dan? I think it is. I mean, you asked the question a while ago, why didn't we, let's say, head off to Australia and do the whole young... Per- like, at the time, the internet was taking off. It was 1999. I mean, it was either get on this now or, you know... Or not. Or not. Yeah. And uh, luckily, we did it. But, I mean, it's never... It has never been easier now to, to create a company like we we have created where the software, it's software as a service, you sell online, people buy online. I mean, as I said, you can work from anywhere. I mean, it is the future. And Ireland being an, an island nation, I mean, we've got educated people, smart people. We're on the, the edge of Europe between us and Northern America. I mean, we are the perfect place to to create Last English-speaking country left in the European yeah, exactly. Union yeah. post-Brexit, yeah. Jerry. And, and just on that, I think that, um, you know, wh- wh- our smallness in terms of our size, but that's also a key to our success in terms of our agility, in terms of being able to turn, um, you know, the school, the national school programs into it. You were asking about pharma, and it was very, very big, but look at the role that IT is playing in pharma itself. Um, big data analytics, you're looking at um, augmented reality, you're looking at artificial intelligence, yeah, you know, the Internet of Things or the Internet of Everything. So all like they're absolutely immersed in it. And the farmers that are behind in IT have lost significant advantage. So with if you do go for a career in IT, you're covering a lot of bases, really. Yeah. But there's there's going to be significantly more openings and, and really exciting openings in terms of where we're well, going. The future is bright for all the kids who are coming through schools. And that's a good position to be in after where we've been for the last few years. Mike Kirby, good luck with how many t- students do you have in your class? Uh, in my class, 30. 
28. Okay, 28. Yeah, we yeah, we yeah, just yeah. dropped two off there. Yeah. Very good. Um, good. Good luck with the 28 of them and wishing <laughs> the very best down in school, Nicholas. And Jerry Murphy from VMware, Daniel Mackey from Teamwork.com. Thank you very much for joining us on Red Business. Thank, Thank you. you. The Red Business Podcast with CompuB Business, improving productivity with the latest Apple technology. CompuB.com. Now on Red Business, we want to talk about design and architecture and how we make a city like ours look better than cities elsewhere. With me in studios, Luke Higson, who is a founding partner of Mehel Design Partners. I'm pronouncing that right, am I, Luke? You certainly are. And Mehel is an Irish word. It is, yeah. It's an Irish word for a a communal work group. So it would have been an old term used by the farmers and the fishermen to come together as a collective for a common purpose there. Now, did that come about because a group of you came together for a common purpose. <laughs> you could say that. Um, yeah, we, we rebranded there recently as Mehel Design Partners. We were formerly PLM Architects. And we, after the recession, we just took took stock of, of where we've been and where we're headed. And we just decided to, 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 to kind of go through the rebranding process to, 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 to reaffirm the kind of the values that we have. And the whole notion of a mehel is that you work in partnership with your with, with other people, and that's that's the way we see the model of the business is that all of our clients are partners in a process, and and we we all work together for for for, for them. You, you spoke about the recession. You you mentioned the R word. Did that leave <laughs> a little bit of a scar? Sure. Who who didn't leave a scar with uh, here in Ireland? Uh, of course it did. Um, you know, you can't go through ten years of of the the floor, floor the floor falling from underneath you without without having some some kind of an impact. Um, but look, we've at, at the you know we survived it, we're through it. Um, we've come out the other end, and we want to kind of take stock at the moment and 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 move forward in the kind of with a positive face and kind of say, look, you know, let let's take the lessons that we've learned and 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 use that in a good way. And what lessons did we learn? Because I'd imagine one of the first things we know that was cut was construction budgets. So therefore when nothing was being built, nobody wanted to design anything. Um what lessons have we learned from a time when we were probably building too much of the wrong thing? Are we better placed now? Um, I think we're better placed. Whether we're taking advantage of that place, I'm not sure entirely. But I guess if you're asking me the question, what are the lessons learned? The lessons learned are to to do less and do it better. So be frugal with the resources that you have, but make sure that you're spending them in in the right way. And I guess that's 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 the lesson that we've always tried to teach our clients. Um, you know, splashing the cash isn't necessarily the, the the right answer to everything, but, you know, using your money and, and getting the best value and the best product for what you're trying to but do. But do, do you not have to spend money to make your project look good and make it stand out? Because we had an awful lot of generic, pretty awful buildings built in the 90s that are not going to age well no more than some of the buildings in the 70s didn't age well. Yeah, but, I mean, you've got, you've got things that don't age well from every era. Um, and it's not necessarily the money that was spent on them that has made them poor products or um, Ill- ill-equipped to kind of stand the test of time. It's the it's the process that made made them made them that poor product. It's the it's the rush. It's the it's the lack of thought. It's the lack of kind of vision to kind of say, well, look, what to to take stock and say, well, what is it that we're actually trying to do? And 
is there a different way that we can do it? You, you guys do a number of things. You do commercial projects, so you're, you're, you're buildings in town, for the want of a better expression, but you also do housing estates. And one of the things that stands out is how we were not very good at that in the 90s, that I always use the example of it's like somebody picked up a handful of seeds, threw them out and houses grew. Uh, and there was nothing more to it than that. What lessons did we learn from that particular part of of the property boom? Do you know, in terms of housing and housing estates, it's I think it's too early to 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 find out whether we've actually learned any lessons. Do yet you think we might have not learned the lessons? I th- I think we might. I think we. I think there is still that danger. I think it's too early. It's it's too fresh for all of those, for any volume of that work to have taken place at this stage. Um, but certainly some of the some of the people who are making those poor choices are still around. Um, there are some fresh faces on the scene. There are some you know good quality developers out there who have the right aspirations and and whether it comes through, it's it's there's just not enough of it built after, mm, after the, the, that. There's a drive for price though at the moment. I mean, you, if you talk about not having to splash the cash, if there's developers out there right now, they certainly don't want to splash the cash. They want to maximise their return. So you know, build them cheap and build them high seems to be the message that's out there. That, that is the message, but the other the other message is that there's a real reticence here in Ireland to kind of do anything that's that's outside the norm. So there's you know there's your copybook there's your copybook estates that we've been building for for thirty or forty years, and there's a real reticence to kind of move away from that kind of um, copybook semi D model that's you know in in the developer's mind has kind of stood the test of time. And it's not to say that that's not a model that can work, but if we're doing it the same as we were doing 30 and 40 years ago, there's a problem there and there's a problem taking that through to the future. And, and yes, you're right. And that is the part of the, pro- part of the problem of the housing model here is that you know, housing is a commodity. It's, it's something to make money on. Mm. And do, do you drive around, though? I mean, as somebody who's involved in design, do you drive around going, oh, God, look at the state of that. <laughs> of course we do. <laughs> <laughs> and do you, does it annoy you that somebody spent a lot of money on something that doesn't look particularly good? It does. But look, to tell you the truth, when it comes to housing, there's there's two aspects to that. You know, there's the appearance of things, but it's it's also the function of a house. A, ha- a house has to be good for... A house does more than just look pretty when you drive past it. A house is something that you live in, that families grow up in, that, you know, communities populate. If a client has their heart set on something that you know is not particularly good value for money, how do you try to talk them down or do you just go along with it? <laughs> um, of course we try and, you, you try and open that dialogue, you know, even even with the subtly? hardest clients. <laughs> sometimes less subtly, sometimes more subtly, you know, uh, everyone's different. Um, you know, if you use the ha- same hammer for every job, it would, <laughs> it doesn't always work. So, um, yeah, sometimes you're going for the little tap hammer, and sometimes you're bringing out the lump hammer to, to kind of drive a point home. But um, you know, it's 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 all about that relationship and, and understanding the person and where they're coming from. I don't know how long have you been doing this, by the way. How long have you been a designer and an architect? I'm an architect. Um, I have probably thirty years experience. So you, you've got thirty years under your belt, yet architecture has only become glamorous in the last 10 years. We've only had the likes of Dermot Bannon flying the flag for the industry on the television screens and everyone going, oh, I'd love that. I mean, has has that been good for business that people see Homes Under the Hammer and they see Dermot Bannon's programmes and they see all these other design shows that get people thinking about maybe I'd like that and maybe I need to get a good architect? 
Um, yes, I think on the whole, any kind of discussion about um, any kind of discussion about the environment and the way it's formed is 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 an important discussion, no matter how kind of fickle it is, because it gets it out there. There's there's very little there's very little uh, spatial education in our in in our education system. There's there's very little kind of awareness of how things come about and and the effect that 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 our our the buildings and and our environment has on our lives. So anything that that puts that awareness of the way things are formed into people's psyches is it can only be a good thing, you know. Hasn't hurt business, let's face it. It hasn't hurt business, but at the same time, not everything you see on the television is realistic either. So yes, things can be a lot more complicated, yeah. I would imagine. Uh, well, the company is Mehel Design Partners. Uh, it's yourself and your two partners. You better give their names just in case they get <laughs> angsty afterwards. It's Patrick O'Toole and Mark Dignam are the two other partners. Well, you, in the Patrick and Mark, you, you can't possibly say that he didn't leave your names out. Luke Hickson of Mehel Design Partners, thank you for joining us on Red Business. You're very good. Nice to meet you, Jonathan. Thanks. My thanks for listening. My thanks to all the guests for joining us in studio and to Niamh Hennessy who helped put this all together. Subscribe to the series on iTunes. We'll catch you on the next one. The Red Business Podcast with CompuB. Apple technology and solutions for your business. CompuB.com.